This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company. Making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Hey guys, welcome to The Show Up Dad. This podcast is created for hardworking fathers. At The Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. Today's guest is Brady Hansen. He specializes in the knowledge of electrical systems, safety training classes, and personal protective equipment through the line industry. Through his training company, Written in Red, he offers interactive training in topics like EPZ grounding, rigging, and troubleshooting, as well as a relatively new class called Square Up, which focuses on relationships, interpersonal communication, brain health, and attributes critically to safety and well-being. He was born and raised in South Dakota and now lives and works near Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, with his wife, Terry. Together, they have five children in their blended family. While he loves being a lineman, he describes his most important title as dad and husband, as well his new title, grandpa. Congratulations, brother. Thank you. (laughs) He he earned that title just before Christmas last year with his first grandbaby was born. Welcome to our show, brother. If you don't mind, I'd like for you to just uh, come on here and tell us about your childhood. If you don't, if you don't mind, brother. Yeah, not a, not a problem. So I grew up in a, uh, really small town in Western South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a very small town, rural lifestyle. Um, played a lot of high school sports and got involved with a lot of uh, various activities. Was a proud member of uh, an organization called FFA, Future Farmers of America. Oh yeah. And uh, did a lot of hunting and fishing and kind of grew up a, uh, a rural Western lifestyle, I guess, or Midwestern lifestyle. Right on, man. Well, you know, that that's kind of like the MO of all the linemen that I talk to is hunting, fishing, hardworking. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of yep. like we're all cut from the same cloth. You know what I mean? It's pretty awesome to see that. With that being said, brother, what can you tell us about your father? If you don't mind me asking. Um, yeah. So my biological father um, left when I was very young. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just sort of made a reconnection with him uh, via social media here a couple of years ago. But uh, I was I was raised by um, an adopted father, and mm-hmm. uh, I have his last name. And in fact, my my grandson um, is named after my adopted grandfather. So I don't know exactly what what transpired. Um, Mm-hmm. why my dad left but it did leave a indelible scar upon my identity to some extent um i, d- I don't think that uh 
I don't think that is the best outcome for a child or the best outcome for a father, either one. So, um, I've always, I've always, uh, called my adopted father, my dad and refer to him as my dad. And, uh, to me in the grand scheme of things, he, he really is. So I just want to commend your, your, your stepfather too, as well. I mean, that's a big role to fill, brother coming in to take over someone else's responsibility for, for lack of better words. You know what I mean? That, that takes a big man, you know what I mean? And completely, completely. The world needs mentors like that for sure. Absolutely. I thought it was interesting when you said about your identity, because we talked about that in in another podcast, you know, how, fathers give their children their identity you know mm-hmm. what I mean? and how you have to kind of search around and kind of figure that out when did you figure out your identity you know mm. I mean? i'm still working on it i think to be honest with you yeah you know yeah. as i age and go through life and respond to situations and events around me i, mm-hmm. I call them callings or need or, or whatever however you want to term that um mm-hmm. you know for for the longest time, I considered myself to be an apprentice and then a journeyman and then at various times a foreman and then an instructor, and now a small business owner. So that that part of my identity has kind of been changing. Um, my my identity as a father hasn't changed from the day my sons were born, though. Mm. Mm. And now my my identity as his grandfather will persist as long as I'm on this earth. Mm. I'm glad to see that your feelings didn't dictate your behavior. You know, you didn't take your mood with you. You know, you could have, you could have had that victim mentality and been like, Hey man, my dad wasn't around. So screw it. I'm not going to be around yada, yada. You know what I mean? And you use that to make yourself better. You didn't let it hold you back. And that's awesome, Brady. I appreciate that. I wish more fathers would be doing that, you know, to, to be quite honest. Um, so let's talk about your, your stepfather, right? Mm-hmm. How did he interact with your mother? I mean, what did you see from that? What did you learn and how to treat your wife and stuff like that? You know, that's a mm. factor. You know, a, a lot of times uh, with a, a great deal of, of respect mm-hmm. and uh, I guess grace would be a, would be a very, very good term to, to, to apply to that relationship. You know, they're, um, my parents, like all marriages did have, conflict but for the most part their um conflict resolution was pretty peaceful you know um it wasn't a household that was full of a lot of uh fighting between my mom and dad so um between that and then i i think probably the one of the biggest things that i learned from from both him and the community at large there is the idea of, of community in a small Midwestern town or the idea of family. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty fluid and extensive term. Um, in a, in a, in a small town like that, people throughout the community almost end up being extensions of your family. So learning how not only he actor interacted with my mom was important, but how he interacted with his own, uh, grandmother, his dad, my uncle, um, without, without sounding a little too cliched, I, uh, because I lived up in a, in a really small town, um, my uncle was also my neighbor and my great grandmother lived across the street and my grandpa's, uh, 
Hyden Fur Business was just across the way. So it was a very, uh, very close, I guess, family construct, not only in uh, relational terms, but geographic terms. Mm -hmm. And it's good to see because I grew up in a small town as well, Brady. Um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, community, everybody knew each other. I mean, you couldn't sneeze without somebody knowing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, you know, if you're acting out of line and say, for instance, uh, a story I have is I remember one time I was at the park and I was cussing. Mm -hmm. One of my football coaches from Yaffle caught me. He turns around, he looks at me and I had utmost respect for this man. His name was Mike. And he sees me, he's like, oh, hey, your dad didn't raise you like that. And he gave me that look like he was going to hit me. You know what I mean? yeah. And uh, I saw that and I, I, I recognized that. And I, I corrected myself right there at that moment. You know what I mean? But it takes yeah. people like that in your life, you know what I mean? To, to raise a child, you know, to, in that community. You know what I mean? That's the difference I see now between this fast life, like city life, like growing up in LA and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Where people are more drawn out disconnected right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that's what we need to get back to as a whole you know just people just knowing about their neighbor knowing if they're okay and stuff like that and, and you know even let's take it to a smaller sense even with our line community seeing how our brother being a brother's keeper seeing if they are okay yeah man I mean? so that's why i wanted to get you on here and let's transition to this topic brother about cultural leadership brain health for linemen all right Mm -hmm. We all know that depression, anxiety is, is going rampant. I mean, you have people who are addicted to all kinds of drugs. Uh, one of the big ones now is fentanyl. I mean, I've seen so many fentanyl overdoses right now. It's laced in everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, I recently lost a good friend too. Um, he showed up to a job, signed the books, went to his hotel, and they found him dead a few days later. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, it's no secret. He liked to pop pills, you know, and I'm not saying that's bad or not bad. I mean, a man can do whatever he wants to do. You know what I mean? But what yeah. I'm getting at is the mental aspect of that. Okay. If you're in so much pain that you need to numb yourself, that's trauma. And that's what we want to talk about today. You know what I mean? Um, what are your beliefs on that, Brady? And how do you mitigate that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's changed, uh, significantly for me mm -hmm. um, with with respect to the the topics of loneliness and depression um that is that is an epidemic right now especially among uh working class men in this mm -hmm. country um and in light of the suicide issue i also lost a lineman brother who committed suicide and so my perspective on it uh, has changed a lot especially especially given the fact that we spend long hours away from home at times in close proximity to one another um i believe we got to be active about it if you go to youtube or uh you go to netflix and you start watching documentaries on male suicide in this country there's something that um is very striking to me and i i don't want to sound misogynistic or anything by saying this but a lot of those voices and a lot of those people on the screen talking about the issue happen to be women. Mm -hmm. And in, in so much as I appreciate their help and their, their concern about this, this matter that impacts our demography, um, it's going to be people within our demographic that actually 
figure it out and find a way to start mitigating the issue. So I, I think um, first and foremost, I want to make a, a conscious effort to stop saying the word committing suicide because committing makes it sound like a crime. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to reframe the conversation a little differently. And the other thing I want to do is I want to have a ability to ask the question. And then the question doesn't need to be all therapized and fancy or anything like that. It's just, hey, bro, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Have you been thinking about suicide? Are you considering suicide? The, the people I talk to at the um, National Suicide Prevention Hotline say that question is one of the most important things we can do. Mm -hmm. And to be blunt and to be straight, straightforward about it and, and not to dance around the topic. So I, uh, I've put the National Suicide Prevention Hotline number in my phone. Mm -hmm. And I'm in, in traveling around the trade right now, kind of facilitating this conversation. I ask other brothers to do the same thing. So when we're, we're on a storm call or something, when we got that guy on the crew or the guy in the show up that, that maybe, uh, maybe has shown some signs, maybe they're withdrawn, they're starting to give their stuff away, maybe they're starting to engage in more and more risky behaviors. Mm -hmm. Number one, asking the question. And then if, if we do ask the question, we get some sort of response. The next move is to either hand them off with this phone number, or I've done a number of phone calls with, uh, with a hotline on speakerphone mm -hmm. so they can interact with an operator there with me along alongside them. If that makes it easier, that's better. Mm. Of course, um, depending on where you call from, they route you to local resources. And because I really like the fact that it's anonymous because it's anonymous, it's a way when you're, you're sitting in your fifth wheel or you're sitting in some crappy hotel that you're tired of living in day in and day out. Mm -hmm. It's an easy way to just call somebody, get some stuff off your chest, make a plan, figure out how to get into a, a better outcome. Because the, the sad thing about this issue that affects so many men in this country right now is it is a very, very damaging choice mm -hmm. that, that does not make anything better. It makes things almost exponentially worse because then that pain is magnified through the families and friends and, and people are left asking themselves, you know, what, what could I have done differently? What should I have said differently? What should I have caught? What should I have paid attention to? Mm. So in, in many, many of my favorite states in this country are states that lead. Uh, Alaska is currently uh, the leader. Um, and people posit all kinds of reasons for that, whether it be sunlight or alcohol or firearms i don't know mm -hmm. I, you know i it's also uh, problematic in montana and idaho and wyoming and north and south dakota and in a lot of a lot of places in the country where there's there's also at times been some challenges with economic issues mm -hmm. another thing too that i that i harp to not to interrupt you brady that i you know, picked up on too, is those places, right? Those are all places of isolation. Yep. Now I've said this before on, on other podcasts because I read it and I thought it was fascinating. Okay. The most hardest punishment we can give someone right mm -hmm. in America 
is solitary confinement. And I, I, I actually heard that from Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. It is so bad on a person's psyche and ego and, and everything else on their, and their persona mm-hmm. that that's the utmost punishment we can give somebody is solitary confinement. Cause we're relational creatures. We're designed to, to be relational, to be in contact, to be in speaking with other people to, you know, just to connection. Right. Yeah. And like you just said, Montana, Alaska, all these places, if you look at it and you dissect it, they're all rural areas. Even when you're in your own hotel, lost in your own thoughts, dealing with your demons, right? Yep. And you have no one to talk to because society says you're a man. Get, you know, st- buck up, you know, stop being a little wuss, you know, dust the dirt off and deal with these, these problems. You know yep. what I mean? And then men tend to deal with depression when they internalize it. It comes out in anger. And yep. that comes in anger towards your family, towards your, your coworkers, towards your, your wife, your children. And yep. these, that that's the fruit of it. You know what I mean? Not being able to deal with it. But I, I just wanted to point that out because I thought that was pretty interesting. You know what I mean? That isolation, those places are all isolated places. You know what I mean? Completely. And, and unfortunately, I think there's another form of isolation now. It's a device. Mm. There's some, uh, studies that point out some of the downsides of social media and how people who have a larger number of quote-unquote friends on social media are more likely to be experiencing loneliness and I think if you look at our our trade over the last 25 years or so there has been a subtle nefarious movement towards more and more isolation because it used to be people were engaged at coffee or in the show up or if you're waiting for a switching order or something now it seems like whenever there's downtime people are looking at devices and i think when we look down into our devices and stop looking into the hearts and souls of the men around us we're going to suffer a consequence and you see that today i mean you see it in today's youth you see it today in, in today's mothers and fathers um you know, I watched this lady the other day at a grocery store and she's on her phone, right? Mm-hmm. Completely disconnected. She's got two kids. One of them's in the basket. Dude, one of the kids is getting out. He's crawling over. He flips out of the basket. Okay. He's holding on to dear life and she's still on her phone. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then she freaks out when I go over there to try to help the baby, you know, because he's he's hung up in the actual crate. His hands are bent like that. And wow. And I'm like, and she got mad at me. Like I was going to do something to her kid. I'm like, I'll put that damn device away. You know, the lineman in me came out and I'm like, I'll pay attention to what you're doing, man. Yeah. You yep. <laughs> everybody got kind of weird, you know, but then they saw that the kid was in distress, you know, he's freaking out, you know, here's a stranger trying to help him. You know, his mom's over there completely just in la la land, you know what I mean? And you're absolutely right, dude. I mean, people are just disconnected, you know, and to quote one of my, good friends he's an instructor at calnev too um he said that devices and social media has just taken the place of lonely housewives and their um soap operas that's all it is now he's all is yep. a way to numb them back yep. then you know and, and you see that today you know i think social media is another form of numbing yeah you know instead of dealing with that pain or trauma or whatever it is that you got going on right now in your life. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, completely. Now, have you? Go ahead. Go ahead have sorry, you had, uh, had, have you had an opportunity to uh, learn anything about the Harvard Longevity Study? Mm, no, boom me up on that if you don't mind. Oh, it's gold, baby. So they decided to do a longevity study mm-hmm. decades ago, right before World War II. They started to follow two groups of young men. One group came from the sort of south side community in Boston, a lot of economic hardship, a lot of family distress. Mm -hmm. The other group of men came from Harvard University. And so they started to follow these people and they studied them very, very in depth. So they interviewed family members, they tracked their careers, they got information from their doctors and their, their medical status as they went through life. And to date, it is one of the longest running studies on human lives, not, mm-hmm. not, not for a five or 10 year span of time, but across entire lives. And it was really, really interesting what one of their primary findings were. One of their primary findings was the fact that it was the number and quality of relationships in a man's life that had the biggest outcome of how long they lived how happy they were in old age, and even how they processed pain. People, men, this originally was called the men's study. And I think over in time, due to social pressures, uh, they changed it to the longevity study. Mm -hmm. This study empirically demonstrated that despite what modern marketers would like to define manhood as, it is not the vehicle we drive or the money in our pocket that matters most to us. It is the quality and strength of relationships around us. Men who had better relationships at 50 were far more likely to live into their 80s than men who had lower cholesterol scores, worked out more often, ate better, etc. Hmm. There's a there's a wonderful TED talk that you can watch about it and a bunch of articles that you can read about it. But the the way I like to use it is I like to reframe what masculinity is mm-hmm. and and what what it means to be a man and, and what things we should really recognize are important to our identity as men mm-hmm. and if if you look at our trade i i firmly believe one of the most important skills alignment will develop over time is how to build and sustain really really good relationships not just at work, but at home and throughout our community. Mm, I like that because that's one of the things my wife always asks me. She's like, man, you have so many friends. You meet so many people, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, because I'm constantly out of my comfort zone. I have no choice. I have to be able to communicate with this guy or, or learn how to talk to him or learn how to speak speak to him you know because there might be a language barrier or whatever because we're doing dangerous stuff and i want to come home at the end of the day and i want him to come home at the end of the day so you have to learn how to communicate yeah <laughs> so i i could see the uh the correlation right there you're i mean i never thought of it that way that's pretty interesting that you pointed that out like that yeah and I, I think as as uh as we move on into more and more factuous society and uh at times, large demographic shifts within our trade. Mm-hmm. I think we've got to reach back and uh, and 
facilitate relationships and learn how to facilitate those relationships in a way that the old timers characterized as brotherhood. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's an an action verb, not necessarily just a logo or a sticker or a, a nice looking shirt. It's it's uh, it's something that needs to compel us to be men of action mm-hmm. and of of all the of all the things that we identify, whether it's muscles or net worth or et cetera, it turns out the single most important thing empirically proven for us, you, you and me and, and, and all of the men around us is our ability to have relationships that give us the strength and capacity to care for other people and to take, take care of our duties in terms of at home and on the job. And that, I, I think we are at kind of a unique moment in the trade when podcasts like yours are creating an enlightening of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I think that the fact that I could listen to uh, your podcast or Ryan Lucas's podcast or uh, Raul's podcast, I, that gives me an opportunity to be a little more self-aware and, and self-awareness, I think in, in time, is going to create a lot more thoughtful line work and a lot more engaged communication and conversation. No, I agree. Yes. Um, you know, we talked earlier about how social media and people are being disconnected, but at the same token, it could be used like you're talking about as an avenue for good, you know, completely with this, you know, self-awareness that you're talking about, you know. Um, I agree more than ever, more people are starting to stand up and more people are starting to use their, their mess as a message. One of the things I thought that was interesting is that you talked about helping somebody, right? And I've, I've had other psychologists and, and doctors come on here and they talked about how one of the ways we can get out of our depression is to help somebody, ask them how they're doing, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I thought that was kind of interesting to, to, to see that, you know what I mean? Cause I tried that, you know, I, I was having a bad day, whatever, you know, my, my wife almost passed away on me and stuff like that. And I was in a pretty dark place myself questioning, like we all come to, mm-hmm. and I just started trying to help people, you know, with this podcast and everything, reaching out, you know, not being perfect or nothing like that, but just literally going out there to help people. And then I heard this great quote that said, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that exactly. is yeah. absolutely true. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things I started doing to, to battle depression that I had, right, was to, I started, in order to stop my suffering, I started trading in my expectations for mm-hmm. appreciation. Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes when we expect someone to do something and they don't do it, and then you, you know, there's that, downfall that you have where you're just like all bugged and and hurt that they didn't do something you know we could start appreciating what they did what they are what who they are as a person right and start focusing on that you know and i and i I take that back to let's say our even our spouses you know what i mean and I, i always harp on going back to your wife right because that's who we're modeling to our children our children are watching us and our interactions And that's how they're going to grow and start their family off. And that's why it's so important 
you know what I mean? To, to model good behavior for them. Okay. Now, when we're constantly nitpicking with our, our spouse or whatever and, and pointing out all her flaws and stuff like that, you know what I mean? It's going to cause this division. It's going to cause this, this divide that our kids pick up on, right? It changes the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, I've started to start looking at appreciating her more, appreciating, you know, and it's the same thing even with work, dude. How many times you get around that guy who just is completely negative? Uh, this job sucks. This wire pool sucks. I don't want to climb today. You know what I mean? You just don't even want to be. I, I I know for me, I don't even want to be around that person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it starts bringing the whole morale down. And I think a quick way for us to get out of that is to start having appreciation for what we do have and the things that we can control and the things that are going right. That'll definitely take your mindset, that focus off of the bad, right? Which will take you down that spiral, that down, you know what I mean? To where now all of a sudden you're constantly thinking on this dark hole and now you're depressed. Communicative message about love. Some people like gifts and some people like service. And in my marriage with my wife, appreciation and and honestly a lot of it is respect for for what she brings to our marriage and what she does for our family mm-hmm. that's gold that's that's absolutely one of the things that is uh given me the kind of marriage that i have today that i'm absolutely thankful for and when it comes down to it i don't think that's a a difficult thing but it does take the forbearance of mind to, to focus on it so I'm not real big into journaling, but my wife keeps a gratitude journal. And there's a, there's a lot of research on how powerful keeping a gratitude journal can be. And I, other notable people have maintained that they keep a grat, gratitude journal as well. Just mm-hmm. taking a few moments every day in internal reflection about things you're thankful for makes it really, really easy to be externally gracious about it and it's it's not any any secret psychological trick or anything when you're positive with people and you hold them in a positive regard you're much more likely to have a positive relationship and much better communications Mm -hmm. and i in, in fact uh when i when i talk about this stuff with with people across our trade one of the things i i try to encourage people is to use a hack called the transition moment. And actually I learned this from my wife and I learned this from her dog. I'm I'm not a, I'm not a huge dog lover myself because I've worked in too many backyards where, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're using a shotgun to keep them away from you. Yeah. Yeah. Or or you're walking in dog crap for half the day. And so, so when I got married, she has this little fluffy dog. And uh, drives me nuts until I'm coming home from work one day and I've had a particularly hard day and I'm tired and probably didn't get enough sleep the night before. And I'm, I'm moody and I open the door and the dog is the embodiment of joy to see me. It's wiggling, it's jumping, it's hopping, it's thrilled to see me. We, we call these animals dog's best friend because when we enter into their proximity or we leave their proximity, they 
pull no punches about expressing how much they care to see us. They're happy to see us. They're happy to be around us. And I think if, if I look back at some of the difficulties I've had in married life, that, that was one of the things I screw up. I get up in the morning, I'm crabby, I'm rushing. I got to get to the show up because I'm not going to be late. And my spouse gets up and I'm a little bit irritated or abrasive. Well, then when I go to work all day, when I get ready to return home that evening or maybe the next day, depending on how long that work shift is, by having a negative transition as I left that relational moment, now I come back and I've already got two strikes against me. But if, if, I, could, if I could pause for a moment and check myself before I wreck myself, before I left the door, I would say something kind, appreciative, happy, an expression of love. And I would allow her to ruminate on that sentiment all day long, instead of the sentiment of bark, 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 bark. No, that's, that's, that's really good. I, I like that because that's part of being intentional, you know? Um, yeah. As Lyman, we always tend to say, uh, you know, no wasted moves, right? Well, that right there to me is having no wasted moves. You're sending her away on cloud nine, letting her know mm -hmm. that she is that person, you know, and that you're paying attention to her. She, you're acknowledging her as a person, you know. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, since we're relational people and we desire that relation, we tend to do that even with our lowest person on our in our group. You know mm -hmm. what I mean, in, in our crew, you know, as with our flaggers, mm -hmm. with our ground men, you know, we don't even acknowledge they exist. I don't know how many times I've been around linemen or just, they just were like, you know what, these guys don't even count. I show up, I get in the bucket, I do my work, I get, you know, do whatever needs to be done and go back into the truck. You guys pick up all that crap. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's an ego thing or whatever. That was something taught, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and these guys are left to pick up all this stuff, right? And then they don't even acknowledge them as human beings, you know? And I think that acknowledgement when you say, hey, man, good job. Hey, thank you. Thank you for getting those rigors. You know what I mean? Thank you, dude, for, for whatever, flagging and keeping me safe and, you know, watching my knuckle while I'm right up against the, the, the street, you know what I mean? Or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Th these little things that we can do to let people know that, hey, man, thank you. I appreciate you, you know? Yeah, and especially so in, in terms of uh, relationships, there's a lot of different ways to quantify and qualify the nature of relationships. One of the, one of the best relational dynamics that two human beings can have is called a secure attachment. Okay. Where you're in a relationship with somebody and it's undergirded by trust. It's not to say there won't be conflict. There will be conflict, but in a secure attachment, you know that at the end of the day, that person cares about you. Mm -hmm. So you can call it like you see it. You can talk about the hard things and get through the hard things and know when the dust settles, you're still going to walk away brothers. If we create a, a dismissive environment or if we create a, an environment where there's anxiety, we can get other attachment styles that do not lend themselves well to dialogue and communication. And when I, when I was learning about attachment styles and, and stuff like an anxious attachment style and what that looks like, 
I keep thinking over and over again about apprentices and pre-apprentices. So that, that attachment style is where you feel like you're dependent on somebody else, but you cannot fully trust that they care about you. And in, in that kind of relationship dynamic, there is a lot less willingness to ask questions and a lot less effective exchange of information because there's, mm-hmm. you're, you're anxious. You, you got to work with this journeyman or this foreman or this, this person. You got to have a, a successful working relationship with them. But if you're, if you're scared to say anything or if you're scared to say something that might be contrived as you being stupid, then you're not going to speak up. And the same goes in relationships with our wives. If, if we feel like uh, we need to be fearful about mentioning something, talking about an issue, whether it's a financial issue or some other issue, something to do with the kids or something, when we're in those kinds of relationships where there's anxiety about the relationship itself, mm-hmm. it doesn't bode well. I created that atmosphere in my family. Um, my wife, uh, she described it as walking on eggshells. So when mm-hmm. I would come home from being out of state or whatever, working when I would come home, instead of me coming home, feeling, you know, once again, having this idea that I had been gone, I'm going to come home. The kids are going to be running up to me, being all excited to see me and everything. I'm going to be celebrated. Right. Yeah. Well, that didn't happen. So that was a complete letdown. And then I was just being tolerated. Like they were like, man, is dad going to go back out of town again? You know what I mean? Because they did not like me being there because I was so, this hasn't been done. Why is this haven't been done? Why are the animals not taking care of this way? Why is the grass dying? You know what I mean? All these different things that we go through, you know, when we get home, because when we're gone like that, we put all these responsibilities on our wives, right? Yeah. For me, I had 300 chickens, five dogs, three cats, three kids, uh, property, uh, an orchard, you know what I mean? Fruit trees, everything needed to be taken care of. And I left that to my wife. Yeah. You know, and I expected her to take care of that stuff for me. And then when I got home and it wasn't taken care of to my expectation, once again, we're talking about those expectations that we have, right? Mm -hmm. Then it was a letdown to me. And then I started nitpicking and then it went from pointing out instead of pointing out her positives and what she had done right it went to pointing out the negatives and I had a a talk to her yesterday and that was one of the biggest gripes that she had you know when we were self-reflecting as a couple is man you have a tendency have a how did she put it let me see she put it in a way that perfectionism right because I grew up in a perfectionist household okay Mm -hmm. where we had to be perfect otherwise we're going to get beat and even when we get when we got beat before we left the house, we got to clean the blood off our face and stuff like that because sure. we had a certain persona we had to put up in public, right? And I brought that into our marriage to where everything needed to look perfect, right? To where my daughter, when she wasn't getting good grades, she felt like she was failing me as a person and she was striving to just be perfect, be perfect, be perfect. And then I heard that again with my wife saying, man, I do all this stuff, but then you nitpick, I clean the house. I, 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 but then I don't wash the outside of the car or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Being nitpicky. 
and uh, paying attention to detail, like we're taught in the trade, right? Putting, you know, why is there scuff on this car or whatever, you know what I mean? And we can't be like that with our, with our children and our spouses, you know what I mean? It's, there's gotta be a, a certain balance is what I'm trying to get at. You know what I mean? Com- completely. So um, the healthy mind actually exists in the way I like to frame it. My, my wife uses different different words because she's had uh, a lot of training and, and she knows the, the therapy term, terminology much better than I do. But mm. there is a, uh, a concept of a matrix, which at the top of it is superiority and that the bottom of it is inferiority mm-hmm. and that the healthy mind should exist kind of in, in between the two. Okay. And I think sometimes in our in our trade because of the uh the candor that we have to have in our workplace and the self-confidence we have to have sometimes i think we can gravitate a little too high towards superiority man and i i know it because my wife has uh has checked me before and i realize i'm talking to her like i'd be talking to an apprentice or a subordinate and um especially when when we've been in the in the trade a while Mm-hmm. so the the thing i love about this podcast uh david by the way when i when i went through the construction apprenticeship in the northwest mm-hmm. it was it was intended as humor when it was said but in my first day at saturday saturday school a number of visitors came in to get us all excited about being in the apprenticeship and becoming journeyman lineman and that sort of stuff and somebody made the offhand comment that you're not really a journeyman lineman until you've been married or divorced at least two times. Yep. And, and people laughed about that. And I, I think I probably did laugh too. And I, I probably have laughed about that sentiment in a number of times, but I guess having lived through one of those and seen what kind of damage it wreaks on, a, on the lives of, of children and the lives of, of the people that go through that divorce. I don't like that paradigm, bro. And it, it, it's not worthy of uh, the kind of people that we have in this trade for them to have to suffer no. from, from stuff like that. So I love that you're doing this and it, it, uh, at some juncture, I hope the concept of being, an engaged, thoughtful spouse becomes just understood that that's what you do in line work. My, my wife, when she looks at my industry, says that we've got a lot of risk factors. A lot of things like work demands, time away from home, that, uh, that can make marriages challenging. So if we don't learn the skills and how to mitigate those risk factors, we're in the, we're in the bite. We're in the bite. And your your the humility aspect of that, they, they you're kind of you're talking to right now. To me, that's like a blanket. Cause the hot the hot phase is my ego or myself or my my selfish desires. And uh putting a blanket over that to keep somebody from getting into the mad. That's, mm. that's huge. I appreciate Especially that. 
given the fact that, uh, cause there was, I, I did, uh, I had some components of my upbringing that are similar to the way you describe yours. Mm-hmm. And I think it was normalized among that generation of men in that place and time for, um, discipline to be meted out in that way. Mm-hmm. And there's, I, I gotta be honest with you, there's been times with my teenage sons, I've wanted to grab them by the scruff of the neck. Um, it's not beneficial. In most cases, being thoughtful, being engaged in communicating gets a lot more done than, than me just yelling or kicking my sons in the ass. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I agree 100%. Um, it took me a long time to figure out that when someone's acting up, it's a cry for help, right? Yeah. They're going to get your attention with our children. They're going to get your attention when they need something. It ain't no different than a two-year-old who's screaming and kicking on the ground or a baby who's crying and he can't communicate, so he's having a fit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's up to us as teachers, as mentors, because that's what a father is. He's Mm -hmm. a leader. He's a teacher. He's a mentor. We're raising the next generation. Mm -hmm. And when we fail to recognize that and we go into this defensive posture or or we're upset because we don't even know how to decipher what's going on, Mm -hmm. instead of taking a step back and looking at the big picture, like I try to tell my apprentices, you know, don't get that tunnel vision, step back on zoom you know what i mean <laughs> step back and see the big picture see what's going on you know what i mean pay attention to that detail yeah. you know over and over again we, we we harp on these apprentices to do that you know what i mean but let's do that in life as well as men because at the end of the day we're all men we're all a husband we're all fathers we're all an uncle we're all brothers mm-hmm. we're all sons in the trade right and we all have responsibilities that we need to take care of right completely so i mean i love what you're doing brady i mean i really do and you know one of the things i wanted to talk to you a little bit about is grounding okay um i know that's a big thing okay you Mm -hmm. you always talk about grounding and i was so moved by your compassion towards that in our industry what about grounding and being grounded in life, you know, being able to brush it off and, and be aware, you know what I mean, of your situation yep. and stuff, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. And I, and I make an analogy that uh, in terms of personal objective grounding, if you want to have everything at the same potential, you bond it together. Mm. And you, you don't bond it together with like number eight soft drawn you bond it together with very strong connections. Mm-hmm. Personal protective grounding cables are not weak little things. They're strong, robust things that can weather all kinds of conditions. Mm-hmm. So if we want to create a zone of safety and effectiveness in our lives, we need connection. And those, those connections, like you said, if we get into a defensive state or one, one of my negative characteristics sometimes when i get frustrated or irritated i can become detached yes well if, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you express love and kindness and then all of a sudden you get cold 
that is a mind screw that's it's very very nasty people with uh, narcissistic tendencies often do that to mani manipulate the lives of people around them i got i got to keep stuff bonded man yep i, I got to stay connected and uh a lot of times in the myriad of connections that i have in my life it's that what keeps me grounded mm -hmm. because if i if i drift into in, into a condition where i'm a little too self-righteous or a little too egocentric my loved ones that feel like they've uh, got a secure attachment to me can let me know. And when that's, it, I, I especially like that when it's my mentor group of middle-aged men. Being your brother's keeper, right? Making sure Completely. that you have that great connection, you know, um, you talked about that connection, you know, it means having a, a strong connection with who you are too. Right. And that's part of that awareness. You got to know who you are. Right. It brings physical and emotional balance when we're grounded. You got to have that connection with who you are and that yeah, way man. you can help people out. You know what I mean? I, I like what you said, the man, that that's, that's interesting. You know what I mean? And once again, Brady, how can people get a hold of you, brother? Um, our time's running up now, but uh, man, how can they get a hold of you on Instagram or, or wherever you're at? Can you share with our audience? So, yeah. So um Brady Hanson three four five on Instagram. Um, I've got a website called writtenandredtraining.com. They can uh, reach out to me there. Mm -hmm. um, my email address is Brady Hanson three four five. My favorite transmission voltage at uh, gmail.com. Mm, right on. Those are, those those are probably are... the best ways. Awesome man, and uh, Brady. Once again, I look forward to seeing you when you come down here. <laughs> and visit yeah, us do some training with us um thank you for coming on our podcast thank you for coming on our show brother and once again uh keep being your brother's keeper and keep doing what you're doing man i appreciate you will do thank you man god bless you bye